Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, July 18th, and I am joined, as I always am, or not always, but he is back now, my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? How is camping? I'm doing well. Camping was good. It's, at the very least, always nice to not be surrounded by skyscape skyscrapers and that sort of skyline and just have trees green nature around you feel a bit more removed a bit less secure and then you come back to the city and with having newfound appreciation for everything maybe a little too much appreciation for couches and tvs right now as that's been most of my last two days but doing pretty well how are you I'm doing well, thanks. It's it's it is definitely refreshing. I went up to the cottage now two weekends ago, um, and it's nice to get away. It's quiet, but I don't know personally for me. I miss the the busyness and having something to constantly do. I just I have a little bit of ADHD in that way, um, so it's nice to always have a break. But I don't mind being back. I'm happy that your trip gave you that that little break refresh ready to reset and, and get back to it. And um, I'm feeling good. I had a good weekend. Uh, first W of the season in softball season, beer league softball. Uh, and I watched the season finale of Loki today on Disney plus, which even I know you're not the biggest Marvel fan, but it is, it is the show out of the ones that exist so far. Uh, from the the new Disney Plus shows that I would recommend the most. It is actually quite well done. Um, goes a little bit bigger than just the, the themes that exist in Marvel superhero lore. Um, it is an interesting balance between what is chaos, what is order, um, how can we search and find ourselves, and once we find ourselves, uh, is our nature too much to overpower, or can we change? And it's it's really well done. Owen Wilson's in it. He's really good. And um, a big reveal in the, in the finale that had me going absolutely crazy. And I know other Marvel fans out there will agree with me. This is, they've set it up to have just an awesome new phase of, of the Marvel superhero uh, universe. They are certainly the leading group in the comic new media industry and trailblazing in a really fascinating time for technology and doing some very interesting things with the marvel verse for sure even if superheroes aren't quite my cuppa i also am almost perfectly immune to covid got on double my second shot right before heading out to camping so got away for that five days i think it's two weeks for the full uh i got moderna which i got pfizer on the first shot so cocktailed up yeah how was that day were you not feeling so hot I it was not great for me yeah I I woke up in the middle of the night or like right as I was going to bed at 2 a.m and just had this sudden bout of like chills shakes kind of feverish it lasted like 30 40 minutes it it literally did feel like someone just like flicked the switch on the immune system Hmm. and it was like all right, now go fight a cold. And then my body was just in that state. And then fell asleep, woke up, felt kind of almost a bit hungover the next morning, headache, but I was able to go play tennis and walk an hour to go play tennis and then walk an hour back. Felt like shit after doing that. (laughs) uh, 
able to do it. So. Yeah, I don't know if that helps. My my girlfriend felt pretty terrible the whole day. And then she did a bit of a workout in the evening and actually felt better afterwards. Um, that's what she told me. So maybe something to that where if you get the blood flowing, gets the the medicine moving around and, and your body can adapt to it a little bit easier. But um glad you got through that. Glad you're feeling good. And now we're we're super immune, ready to take the world by storm, things opening up phase three in Ontario, uh, started on Friday and, and, uh, TFC played on Saturday, Josie Altador with, of course, the first goal back welcoming all the fans back to Toronto. And then we got the blue Jays coming up two weekends from now, returning to Toronto. Very, very exciting stuff coming up. Um, and, and, and sports are, are growing. I'm, I'm finally, I know I mentioned it a while back, but I never ended up going, I'm going to see my first baseball game next Friday, hopefully. I'm looking forward to a live sporting event. For sure. I've bought my first concert tickets, which will be in November. Looking to follow that purchase up with some more. I had a friend in town this weekend, so we went out to the bar having a beer indoors. What an amazing, (laughs) wonderful, beautiful concept. Uh, it's, It's all opening up again. Fantastic. I am very, very pumped. And, and I think it's something that we'll still get a while. It'll be interesting getting used to it um, because even in my interactions in softball, it's, it feels normal, but then you still are hesitant. It, when plays happen, you get a little close to someone. You don't know how to react. It's more so trying to respect the space of the other person. You don't know what their uh, like thoughts are or, or their preferences or their hesitations. So it'll take a while to work through that, but I think it's actually good that this thing has come and almost forced people to have that conversation with each other and set boundaries. Cause it's something that never happened before. Um, so <laughs> looking forward to that, but we will jump into sports. Now uh, we've got some basketball to start with an awesome game five, a really, really great game. And this series really, uh, turned up. It's going to be a fantastic finish, whatever happens uh, moving forward. We've got combat corner. Uh, we've got a little bit of baseball and a little bit of talking hockey at the end where we will be doing our mock expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken ahead of the actual expansion draft on Wednesday. We had the rosters freeze on Friday. No moves can now be made. Everything is set and uh Yeah, really, really exciting stuff and seeing what Seattle can possibly do. So we will talk about that later on in the pod. However, we will begin with a just as exciting game five between the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. And this game had the potential both ways of being a bit of a blowout. And in the end, we finished with just a fantastic last play. Giannis now back-to-back games with defining highlight plays of the series that put him in that kind of legend status. I know I mentioned on previous pods, he is having a LeBronian type series in the numbers that he's putting up and the impact he is having on both sides of the floor. The only thing he was missing was those highlights, right? You know, LeBron has plenty of them. And Giannis now with the block on the lob to Aiton, which was unbelievable. He now gets his own lob finishing over a Chris Paul who was trying to push him and prevent it and gets the and one 
stares right into the camera. One of the coldest things I ever seen. That was hype. And he's been great. And his supporting cast last two games have been great. And that's really what's helped them take a three, two lead in this series. I did not really believe it when I said it bucks taking this series, but it might even be bucks in six. Eh? I totally tapped out of the basketball world. I, what do you think has shifted for this three game winning streak? Well, it's for, well, the biggest thing is Giannis. Um, in the way that he has just seemed to figure out things on both ends of the floor. We saw the beginnings of it in the net series where by the time that game seven had arrived, he was almost beating that team through sheer force of will using his physical presence to dominate. And then on the defensive side, he has things really, really figured out. He's always finding a way to have his fingerprints on every possession. And the thing that he's done really well in this Phoenix series now is Phoenix is so great, such crafty ball handlers, shot makers, but there's only so many things you can do in a pick and roll. Right. And the bucks have started to figure out what the tendencies are, what they're seeing, what to give, what to take away. There have been like basically no corner three pointers given up now to the Phoenix Suns, which is what they killed the Bucks with in games one and two. The Bucks have done a great job taking those away. And then it's just Giannis finding his way to, to adapt to the different pick and roll situations. He's great as a help defender. He's great around the rim. He's just so physically imposing that he's really made a huge impact on this series. And then the other thing is game four, Chris Middleton, big game game five not only chris middleton following up a great game four but drew holiday with his best game of the final so far um the defensive stuff always stands out more when he's having a great offensive night because you're going oh my god this is what they paid all that money for made that big trade for to get the two-way presence of drew but he had been defensively solid this whole series and really really um, harassing Chris Paul as he tried to bring up all up the floor. But now when he starts making those shots, I believe he had 27 in this game. It's just huge. You cannot stop this Bucks team if all three of those guys are scoring because of the things they do on both sides of the floor. And Drew Holiday arriving in this series and having a big game like that, it just sealed Phoenix's fate because they, they had such a great start to the game. But the Bucks were never scared and they clawed their way back. They actually end up building a pretty big lead of their own. Giannis has some trouble with free throws late. This game gets tight. And then you have, of course, that great play by Drew Holiday on the last possession, stripping Booker, throwing the alley-oop instead of trying to dribble out the clock, uh, trusting that Giannis is going to make that play. And, and it's huge. It's so huge that they finally have that third member show up. Um, it really could swing things now because they're going home. They have all the advantage in the world. They are the more physically imposing team now. Uh, it just looks like their size is overwhelming Phoenix. And and I, I said, I thought Phoenix, I had to stick with my pick. I thought that Phoenix had two more great shooting games in them. But the way that the Bucks have been able to just make those shots harder, this team is really starting to crumple under the pressure. And this is the Bucks series to lose now at this point going home for game six. I'm sure Bucks fans very nervous hearing those words this you never know when Middleton might just lose his touch or Giannis might decide to try out his mid-range three-point game uh but yeah I'm really interested to see how each team tries to close this out also uh that Chris Paul play on Giannis's game ending dunk not doing anything to improve my opinion 
Yeah, that was definitely questionable. Um, it's a foul that 10 years ago would be much more accepted and then 20 years would be expected of a player like that. But nowadays with the flagrant foul rules and in the um, increasingly softer and uh, more strict calling of the rules and fouls, uh, I was surprised that we saw nothing out of that afterwards because it, it did seem like a very dangerous play. Um, but Giannis just grabbing a hold of that rim and using it to cushion his landing. Really, really spectacular stuff from him. And I, at this point, I feel confident saying, like, this game six fully lies in the hands of everyone else on Milwaukee. Giannis has consistently given incredible performances, even if it's not just taking over and scoring everything. He's really dictating the flow of the game. So if he knows he doesn't have it for a stretch and he's tired, he's distributing, he's being a decoy, he's setting screens, he's still rolling hard and impacting the game in so many other ways that just, you know, he's going to be there every night. His compete level is out, is unmatched. Um, and it's just going to depend on what they get from Drew or Middleton in, in this game six. And then on the other side, if you're Phoenix, DeAndre Hayden's been fantastic this whole playoff run, but you need just a little bit more from him. You need him to just be a little bit more physically imposing because right now the top guy in this series is Giannis in terms of uh, dominance and, and Aiton at least has the size to go up against the likes of Antetokounmpo. Yeah, I, I don't know what Phoenix has done the game three, four, and five, but game one and two, it felt like they certainly, this whole playoffs, there have been times where they'd settle for these contested mid-range ISO plays and it feels like they really should be trying to get him more touches in the paint because when he finds his comfort zone, he is so incredibly efficient from there. It's got to be at least worth a shot if you're looking to shake things up. Lopez and Giannis, definitely the toughest paint defense to attempt that against. They've had to. Yeah, it's it's they're going to need more from him specifically when uh, the Brook Lopez minutes in this series have been tough for the Bucks, and Booker and Paul have been able to expose him at a, at a decent rate, but it's when the Bucks decide to go less Lopez and smaller. That's when Aiton really has to take over the game and 20 and 10 is not bad in game five, but just what you expect from him, the bar has been raised. And, and I would see, I would like to see a little bit more out of him in this game six. They're going to need it. Otherwise their uh, magical run will come to an end. Yeah. Interesting. A team with so many lethal weapons, part of you wants to say like, Surely someone like surely maybe Cam Johnson is going to go pull 20 out campaign, go pull 20 out. Sorry, chief, like someone might just explode, but at the same time, when nothing's going, it's that downward negative spiral mm -hmm. yeah. and you can't ask much. What did Booker have 40 points in game five? Yeah. So it's, you can't ask too much more there. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's the NBA finals, right? It exposes that sixth, seventh guy on your bench. If it's wavering, it's probably not going to come through for you in, in this stage. And, and Milwaukee just has slightly more reliable guys who have been here a little bit more over Phoenix. Um, and that's been a, a decisive factor in this series as well. That's it for game five. Looking forward to game six on Tuesday. Uh, but until then, we will move on to other basketball news. Uh, we have USA Olympic basketball, Kevin Love dropping out, and I believe it was Bradley Beal also pulling out of the U.S. Olympic team. 
And out of the list of guys following this, uh, we have Donovan Mitchell. I believe he pulled out, he or he did not want to play, but we also had Trey Young, LaMelo Ball, Zion Williamson, uh, Miles Turner, De'Aaron Fox. Like, there's some great options still for USA basketball. You forget how deep all these guys are. And they go with Keldon Johnson and JaVale McGee. Really interesting picks here to round out the 12-man roster. Um, I get JaVale McGee due to the fact that it looked like USA was really undersized in some of these games. That's the thing with international basketball is if you have a pretty imposing center with some height, um, it's going to be impactful because of the no offensive goaltending rules and, and just some of the uh, physicality that comes in these games. The refs, you've noticed it. They don't call nearly the same amount of ticky-tack fouls as we see in the NBA, and that's put some of these guys off guard. Um, it's more physical in international basketball, and so they needed a big man to hang in there. Uh, but I, I imagine there, there should have been better options out there, uh, but they go with JaVale McGee, the three-time NBA champion. And then the other pick, Keldon Johnson. He's a great young player. He's decisive. He attacks. He get, he's a great finisher. He's got good bounce, good athlete. But there's got to be quite a few other better options than Keldon Johnson there to go with. And, and I'm left kind of scratching my head at what the thought process was there. Well, what I'm really interested for this Olympics is going to be when next season comes looking at the players who played had a good bubble playoff run played most of this season healthy did the olympics and then start next season that's a pretty crazy strength of or just no of none of the usual three four month layoff that basketball players often have i'm curious to see if anyone steps up to their game the way we've kind of seen Jokic do this past year or we see like a big downside in some of those players, but there aren't too many names that come to mind. Most guys seem to have been injured at some point. Yeah. Normally with international basketball like this, players actually usually get a bump. Um, it was like right before Kobe's huge emergence, he was on that, that USA team right before LeBron's first title, he was on USA basketball. Uh, it, it, there is a theme of, of top tier guys having a great Olympic run and learning so much because you get to play all of these different styles of basketball and playing with some of the best players in the NBA on your team and learning their tendencies in a way that is much more intimate than if you're just studying film and going up against them on other nights, but you actually are their teammate and get to see them work day in and day out on stuff that now maybe you can take away. It was a great quote that came out, um, that has been around for a while, but it's Michael Jordan was like the favorite, his favorite thing about playing USA basketball was he got to see all of the weaknesses of his opponents uh, coming up for the NBA season because he practiced against them all the time. Um, so there's definitely that advantage there. If, if you're actually tuning in and taking in what these guys are doing in practice, uh, it always seems like the Olympics are pretty good for younger players or players about to hit the prime of their careers. And it, it is, it, you would think that would be good for them, but it is such a tight schedule this year, these last couple years, everything's been so compacted due to the pandemic that uh, who knows if they're going to receive those same benefits as they would have in the past. Well, definitely something to 
make a table on and keep a watch for. Yeah. The last bit of basketball news uh, I wanted to talk about briefly was the Damian Lillard trade rumors um, came out a story a couple of days ago, or at least a headline saying that Damian Lillard uh, was going to request a trade from the Portland trailblazers in the coming days. Then Dame tweeted out later on that these were not true and uh, that he had never said those things, but it just, it looks like that situation there. He's going to get moved at some point. He's just trying not to be the villain after committing to being loyal, wanting to play his whole career with one team. He loves the city of Portland. He's the greatest thing that's ever happened to that franchise. And um, if he turned his back on them, things would not look good for him. And it would be the pinnacle of hypocrisy after he called out all of these guys going to ring chase and join super teams. So, you know, you can tell that he is fed up with the situation there, but doesn't want to explicitly ask out. Uh, so it does lead to an interesting situation of what could be possible trade packages. I know lots of fans have theorized the Wiggins Wiseman 714 that was thought to be maybe linked to Pascal Siakam. Um, I know there's obviously a Ben Simmons trade package out there being created to some degree. Um, we don't know what else there could be in, in, in other spaces, but if you're Portland, you're looking for at least uh, a star and then some more compensation coming back for Lillard. And then if you're a team on the other end, you, if there's an opportunity to get this guy, one of the top players in the NBA, you got to throw all you can at it. Yeah. I, I just got chills at the thought of Lillard and Embiid on the same team. Uh, what interests me, I guess, is more the narratives, the PR in all of this. And I think it really comes down to, for me, if it's an issue with management or an issue of wanting to go ring chasing and where he's okay with getting moved, what other star players orbit around this move I think is what will make up my mind on it like if it's oh like he got traded to whatever team with his like two all-star buddies and now we suddenly have a super team and then it really was just about the ring the whole time where it fully is hypocrisy if it's I just really want to try and win and am not getting that from management so need to go to a franchise where i think we can do that then i'll feel a lot more warmly about it which that's i think what i'm gonna have my eyes on yeah it it, it from an outside view it does seem like portland has really not done enough for him but it'll be interesting to see how hard he pushes to get out of there. If, if we don't ever get the headline where he actually requests a trade, no one would blame him if he did, but it is the optics of doing it after he had been one. So committed to being loyal. Uh, so an interesting story to, to track for sure, but we are heading towards the draft, which is coming up shortly. Um, and so coming up uh, on, on an upcoming podcast, I will try and do my, mock draft at least maybe we'll keep it in the lottery and, and see what my top storylines heading are for that i'm really excited for the nba draft it's always a fun time to project out guys potential and what they could possibly be that is it for nba portion of the podcast we will take a quick break and come back for some combat corner
and we're back. Uh, myself, Owen, alongside Max, Sports Next Door. We are here in the combat corner. Uh, of course, Max was out camping, so did not get to fully break down the uh, the fallout of the Poirier-McGregor bout, as well as uh, the other action that happened in US, UFC uh, this weekend. But Max, I will throw it over to you to talk about whatever you want to get off your chest with regards to the world of combat. Yeah, I was leaving for camping early Sunday morning, so technically Sunday at 1 a.m. as I was recording my reaction to the fight and Connor's broken foot. Connor was making death threats to Dustin and his family and lewd comments about Dustin's wife, and it was really just downhill from there. Uh, Now he's been claiming that his leg was already injured going into the fight, which reminiscent of the loss to Khabib my foot was a balloon Uh, and I guess that's really what I just wanted to hover on for this segment the was thinking earlier a pretty well-known like Aristotle idea quote that uh, any virtue in excess becomes a vice and you want to find that golden mean and I think it's really about Connor's confidence you the self-belief of this guy who entered the UFC and is like, I'm going to be a double champ. I Jose Aldo's nothing. And like you need, he needed that belief to accomplish the things that he did. But we're now seeing that in such excess on the other side of the coin, when the result doesn't go your way, how poisonous that belief is and how it really harms yourself. Like he's, he's not asking the right questions. He's not in the right thought process. He's not accepting that that first round went horribly for him. Even if his leg did have stress fractures, it's because he has bad technique kicking the wrong with the wrong parts of his shin on the wrong parts of people's legs. That's why his leg got fucked up against Dustin because he was putting shin near knee. And if it was already fucked up before the fight, then it's probably because he was doing exactly that in practice. And if he fucked up his leg and then walked into the ring knowing it was fucked up and then went and tried to kick a knee with it, then that's completely on him that it broke. So it's just been fascinating since coming back Saturday, seeing all these excuses, hearing all this psychotic, narcissistic rambling. Um, It's the burning car crash that you can't help but rubberneck in as you drive past. And that's sadly the state of Conor McGregor right now. I'm really curious if I do think this gave him an excuse, something to hang the law song oh no, it's not, it's not me. Mystic Mac is still here. It'll be really interesting to see what the buzz is come his next fight, if he still has that, because it was very present going into this fight. I think this card did like 1.8 million pay-per-views, but I don't know. I mean, the Conor McGregor era of him being an amazing fighter is long over. We might be seeing the end of him as this mystic, the notorious uh, personality as well. I, I don't know how many losses can accumulate before that well and truly dies. And with the excessive confidence that he has, I 
don't see how he ever beats any of the best in the world without taking hard looks at himself, where he is, what he's doing, what his abilities and level are. Thanks for hitting that, Max. We're going to move on into the baseball bit. The Toronto Blue Jays with a awesome Sunday, taking both games of the doubleheader against the Texas Rangers in convincing fashion, an absolute slugfest in both games, and great couple of starts from Hunjin Ryu and Steven Matz. For the boys in blue, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit his 30th home run on Friday, hit his 31st today. He has been electric all season long and it is kept up as the blue jays look to build momentum for their stretch run uh now 73 games left in the season for them and they are sitting six and a half games out of first in the al east but only two and a half games out of a wild card spot and they are chasing oakland and tampa bay and boston for all of those respective spots uh, I think they have a decent chance if their lineup continues to absolutely mash like they have. It will just once again come down to the arms. And if that's from the bullpen, if that's starting the game, they just need every team obviously is looking for starting pitching at all times. You can never have enough of it. Uh, and the Blue Jays, I am sure that they are going to be active around the trade deadline. And, and it will be interesting to see what they can get because this team looks like they're ready to win now, at least offensively. Some of the stuff they've been doing and getting contributions up and down the lineup, but primarily from Vladdy, who has, has been the American League MVP so far. And I just, it's such a joy to watch him hit. Now it's it's kind of must-watch television akin to all the Bautista and Encarnacion at bats in the 2015-16 runs. Um, and so this is just a fun time to be a Blue Jays fan and, it is going to be so awesome July 30th when 15,000 Toronto Blue Jays fans pack the Rogers Center and get to cheer on their team as they walk out for the first time in like 18 months. It is going to be a special, special moment. Uh, I know it was for TFC on Saturday, but, but this is just a different level of, of team and organization, history, and level of fandom in my opinion, TFC has in dedicated fans, but the Jays just have more history and simply there's just going to be more fans, double the amount essentially of that soccer match. TFC, the only Toronto team to win their respective league in recent memory. And I have no memory. What do you mean? The Raptors. (laughs) Wow. I, that just shows how leaf centric I am these days. Uh, the Raptors are an excellent way to put it, but the way the city gets taken over with the Raptors, with the Jays on their runs, it just shows the MLS has not broken into the yes. same caliber of no. fandom. For Not nearly the same. There are definitely some diehard TFC fans, football fans. But Max is still in, in camping mode, so we'll let that one slide. It's that, that's some content right there. All right. <laughs> that's it for my baseball bit. We'll let Max regroup, and we'll come back for some talking hockey. And we're back, Sports Next Door. Myself, Max, with me, Owen, here for our talking hockey segment. Uh, we have the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken coming up this Wednesday, I believe. 
So we're going to talk about the movement before the roster freeze, the very notable and some of the surprising exposures, and then we've each done our own mock draft, which we will present to each other for fresh takes and compare notes, strategies. I was not very excited or interested for the Vegas expansion draft and then they blew all expectations out of the water i feel like that's the huge story the shadow looming over this one the success of the golden knights means the kraken have a lot to live up to owen definitely and it, it there's a lot of lessons that teams have learned from that draft where the golden knights made people pay through the nose and just absolutely hauled assets together um, into a treasure trove and it's turned out well for them they've made deep runs in the playoffs uh, in all four of their years of existence now Seattle's turn to do so and not to mention Vegas does not have to be a part of this expansion draft which I thought was a little wild but just another slight advantage that they get why not um, but ahead of that the roster freeze at 5 p.m eastern on Friday led to an absolute array frenzy uh, of, of moves. And there was a lot to cover. Nothing super, super major went down. There's a big trade between the Predators, the Knights, and the Flyers that sent former uh, number one overall pick Nolan Patrick to the Knights, uh, sent Ryan Ellis to the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, so some big moves there. The Coyotes long rumored that they were maybe going to move off of Darcy Kemper. Instead, they decided to trade Aiden Hill in order to be able to protect Kemper. Um, but there was a lot more that happened, and, and I just I couldn't keep up with it. So I decided we're just going to focus on the Leafs because that's what we do best. Uh, and so the Leafs making a pretty notable move on that Friday, acquiring Jared McCann from the Pittsburgh Penguins in exchange for Philip Hollander and a seventh round pick. Um, the, the notable reason for this is, A, it's, it's another great forward to add to the team, but the price that was circulating amongst rumor mills and throughout sources in the league was that the price that Seattle has been charging teams in order for them to make the expansion pick that those teams want them to make, so not, having, not taking... Um, guys that teams just can't help but expose is a first and a third round pick, which is expensive, which is similar to what Vegas was charging. But that's the thing. Seattle has all this leverage because it's okay. We'll just take one of these great players from your team, or you can pay us this huge amount of uh, amount of value for it. And teams don't really have much of a choice. So for the Leafs, it was, what are we going to do? They go out and they make this move. Hollander in a seventh round pick is less value than a first and a third. They get Jared McCann. And so now you're basically offering up Jared McCann and Alex Kerfoot to the Kraken. You choose one or the other, but either way, we don't pay a first and a third to have you pick someone else. We use a seventh and Philip Hollander and we give you the choice, but then we still get to keep one great forward on our team despite losing one. So that's kind of the price, and they believe it's it's a, a value play over a first and a third. I'm not sure if that 100% sells me as a fan that's been so frustrated these last couple of years. There has to be something else involved in the reasoning behind this deal, but I guess we will see 
come uh, expansion draft night, what happens for the Leafs. I, uh, I was surprised that because of that, they ended up going with the 4-4-1 protection, protecting the core four, and then Brody, Muzzin, Hall, and Riley. I thought actually after they had moved that made, made that move for McCann, they would actually expose Hall uh, because he's not really like the, the worst guy to lose in expansion draft. And that way you can protect just more players. A 7-3-1 just allows you to protect 11 guys as opposed to nine with the 4-4-1 method. Um, but interesting what to, that the Leafs went in that direction, and, and that's what they've done now. You just got to hope that these guys are smart enough to figure things out ahead of the expansion draft. A lot of teams in worse positions, uh, as we'll get to now, notable exposures, and a big one that now is is sitting on the top of everyone's minds is Basically guaranteed Conn Smythe winner if the Montreal Canadiens had won the Stanley Cup carry price. He is exposed. He is available. He has a $10.5 million cap hit, but he's one of the best players in the league right now, as he's just shown. And if you're the Kraken, it's a big salary cap price to pay. But how can you not be thinking, how do we fit this guy into our team? Because he elevates the floor and ceiling of every team, no matter who you put around him. And so that just seems so appealing to me if I'm Ron Francis heading into this expansion draft. I don't know, Max, if you want to go through the rest of this list I've pulled up and see what, what pops out to you in terms of notable, notable exposed players. Yeah, I mean, the like 2016 all-star roster, right? Guys like Tarasenko, yeah. Eberle, Subban, uh, Johansson and Duchesne. Giordano, I, how many years off is he off winning the Norris? I, a lot of players who had so much value and maybe it's a little more um, bark than bite in some of these names. Like three, four years ago, these were some of the best players in the world. Their value certainly lower now with newer, younger, just different guys at the top. But a really interesting opportunity for Seattle to maybe try and put, put these guys together with the right chemistry, a fresh start, a chip on their shoulder, hopefully, and turn back the clock a little. And you could have that 2016 all-star roster performing at 2016 level production is what really fascinates me about just the star power in this name of pool of unprotected players. Um, trying to select the right guys for that and then find the right role players in between and assemble a locker room with a lot of chemistry. Something I heard that really interested me about Vegas's success and the Leafs lack of is it's all about expectations. So no one thought Vegas was going to do well. There was no pressure on their shoulders going out every night. It was just go have fun, play your best hockey. And that's the environment most suited to thrive. Whereas in an environment like Toronto, you go up 3-1 against the Habs and it's like, oh man, if we blow this, this city is going to hate us. No pressure though. And you can't have fun. You can, And when you can't have fun, you can't play your best. So with this list of really big names, and with the success of the Golden Knights, I'm really curious how that plays out. I find that I think sorry, I have to jump here. I think that's such a cop out for the for the Leafs. I'm still frustrated, but it's like 
the expectations are there because of the money that's put in front of these guys, the production that they have had, the sheer amount, just the history and fandom that surrounds this team. There's no reason why there shouldn't be pressure and expectations. That comes with being in Toronto. You want to be here. You should want to be here. You want to win. You're going to get every endorsement deal possible. You're going to be Ilya Mikheyev coming from Russia. No one knows your name. You're making 1.5 million, but you're making one extra million on the side from Campbell's Soup or whatever else it might be, right? It's it's this incredible opportunity for players that should want to come here and win here because of its history. We had those years where there were no expectations. Go out and lose in six to Washington. Go out and, and lose in seven to Boston. Like you're young kids. You're getting to learn. But it, winning time is now. So I don't buy the expectations thing. There are a variety of factors that have led to Vegas's success, but expectations is not one of them. Yeah, you can create the fostering environment of go out and play and have fun, but they're professionals. Like, don't, don't give me the, the lower the expectations. They've set it now so high for themselves. You can't have the Rocket Richard winner only score one goal in a seven-game series against your arch rivals. Like, that. don't give me it. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Got you started. Uh, I I buy into people have to be in the right comfort zone at their to play their best. And there's a difference between the high level of we are professionals, we are going to go out and play, and the ceiling of this is a really great group group of guys. We love it here, and we can just have so much faith, comfort, and have fun out there. And that's what I think you saw with the this Stanley excuse me this Tampa Bay dynasty that has really let them click so it it's not a cop-out yes all guilt is off don't worry about it but it is I think an interesting phenomenon that is a negative cycle that keeps building and hurting this franchise what gets them there that's that's the thing for me is like you can say this, but how is that a fixable problem? It's, it's right. not about, it's about diagnosis, <sighs> not prognosis. Oh my God, that hurts me so much. I don't see that. I don't buy that. It well, can't just, just be, it can't just be whelp sucks another year down. Like we just didn't have, we just didn't have fun. We set the expectations too high. Like <sighs> it's about how when the momentum starts sliding against you, there's just so much more pressure you have to go out and contend with. And in a game, they had, of they had four captains on the roster. They had four <laughs> captains on the roster. Like, what is it? Leadership? What do you need? Joe Joe Thornton's walking around naked in the locker room. They're having a great time. Now they're going to watch UFC with Justin Bieber and whatever kid Leroy or whatever the name is. Like the, they seem to be having a good time. They've embraced the perks of being stars. Why? Why doesn't it translate to on-ice performance? You know, I think you need something to take your mind off this. How about <laughs> you do a mock expansion draft yourself? Oh. This draft? Wow. I'm glad you brought that up because that is what I did get to do this afternoon. A big shout out to Cap Friendly's expansion draft machine. This is really, really sophisticated stuff uh, showing us the breakdown of the cap hits over the number of years. Who is eligible? who has been protected, who's an RFA, who's a UFA, um, how many of each position you need minimum, what the minimum cap hit is, what the maximum is, it really well done. Uh, and I actually had, I had fun going through and, and picking out some of my guys. Not too much of a refined strategy for me. So 
Actually, Max, I'll throw it back to you. Why don't you walk through what your strategy going into this little exercise was? Yeah. So for me, this exercise was of the players you have available, build the best roster you can. It wasn't about acquiring the most assets. It's also a loaded, unrestricted free agent pool. So if you can get in talks or feel confident about signing signing some big names like or even medium level names, guys like Keith Yandel, Brandon Saad, uh, Taylor Hall, David Krejci, um, even like Jaden Schwartz, Thomas Tatar, there's a lot of names that I might want on a roster, um, but I didn't factor those in. So I just tried to put together the best NHL ready roster I could, and then take a bunch of guys with really low cap hits to not go over. Okay. So yeah, I, I don't know how you want to do this in terms of back and forth. I, I think we can start with a point of similarity. The first player I picked and the cornerstone of this roster is Carey Price for me. I did that as well because I looked and I said, this generational talent goalie is on the market. How do you not rearrange things to make it work after what you've just seen, what he did for Montreal? So he is also the, the guy that I went to uh, first. And, and my general strategy, maybe less refined than yours, was I'm going to take goalies because that is so important in the NHL. And then I'm going to go down the middle. So nine of the 16 forwards I, I chose in my draft all had center listed as a position because um, that just allows for some flexibility. And then I tried to really mix. I've got a pretty young defensive core because I just I don't know much about D in the NHL anymore. So there's I have like one or two vets and then and mixed in some youth there. But uh, yeah, Carey Price was my number one pick. And then I'll, I'll, I'll continue that and say the other goalie that I knew I had to get in there was Chris Streger of the Florida Panthers. I know he's an unrestricted free agent, but he was probably the best goalie on that team. This year, uh, obviously Spencer Knight coming in and playing well, and and they've got the Sergei Bobrovsky situation, but they had to expose Drieger, and he's been really great the last two seasons, uh, underrated, and so he is maybe the best backup goalie in the league to have behind Carey Price if they can lock him up at a at a decent number. I tried to assemble a really good defensive core. Uh, so goalies, I slacked a little. I, for my backup, I took Casey DeSmith off the Penguins. He had a like a 2.5 goals against average, played decently, played I don't know how many games, but uh, 15 plus for sure. So NHL experience guy you put behind Carey, but he's definitely going to have more the uh lion's share of the workload and then i took scott wedgwood for the third goalie required off new jersey all right where would you like to go next um i'll keep going with defense so i tried to put together not like a hard top two per se but uh get some talent and a decent top four and then get a bit of youth and a bit of veteranship. So I've got Oscar Clefbaum, Shane Gautispierre, Kevin Shattenkirk, Ollie Mata, 
as kind of my top four defensemen. And then supplementing them, I've got Andre Sakara, uh, Radim Simic, and Carson Soucy. All okay. kind of top six level mm-hmm. players, mix of eight youth and veteranship. And then I also took on Jake Bean off the Carolina Hurricanes, who is a restricted free agent, which you've got to have a bit of confidence there, but I think that's a lot safer than taking an unrestricted. Yeah. So I actually, I have five RFAs on my decor, but um, yeah, the two names that stood out to me, I had two similar picks to you. Jake Bean, of course, a beloved member of uh, in our hearts personally on this podcast. He was a guy that we loved to rock with back in NHL. What was it? 16, NHL 17. Um, yeah, just an shot. absolute, yeah, absolute hammer of a slap shot. Just the greatest guy to play with on the team. So, of course, touched my heart and, and had to throw him in there on the roster. And then uh, Redeem Simek was another um, selection of mine that aligned with yours. My defense though is young. The, I only have one player over the age of 28 on my decor. Uh, and that was Marco Scandella from the St. Louis blues. Uh, I picked up Troy Stetcher, uh, Dean Kukin, uh, Jeremy Lazan. And then on the left side, looking at uh, Nikita Zadorov, um, as well as, as I guess, Jake Bean there, Oliver Shillington, Madison Bowie's there. Some some less named guys uh, had to really fit in some low cap hit D. But I think Scandella, Stetcher, Simek, and Dean Kukin with Lazan as the fifth there. Uh, and then Zadorov's a pretty solid sixth. I think that's a decent six sum for me. And, and you can work off of that as long as you've got some size there. And then of course, with Carey price, right. You can really work with, with maybe a patchy, patchy decor. Yeah. I didn't take out any like Petrangelo level contracts or like big name top two defensemen, but I think I definitely, I mean, paying, paying out around like 16 million on that top four. So probably in the top four spent a bit more than average. So I'm curious to hear what you did with that cap space you have now on your forwards. Oh yeah. I went big time up front. Uh, (laughs) The biggest name, of course, I guess, or at least the biggest cap hit I went with was Jakob Voracek. Um, He's an absolute stud in my opinion, has been up there in the league league in points in the last couple of years and a down year with Philly, but um, I think, think he's still a, a great offensive engine and i think i i would love pairing him with ryan johansson and, and josh bailey on a top line that's just absolute stud line it's an expensive line it's 21 million for three guys um but i had that cap space as you mentioned and i think that's a really solid veteran top line ryan johansson there's not really a a1 center in this expansion draft um but Johansson's definitely your, your, your second line center that can play some first line center time. And, and if you have some deeper center depth with him there, then you're looking at something like that Nashville Predators team from 2012 to 2017 that made some deep runs in the playoffs as, as Johansson being one of those guys. Um, so I was ta- confident with that as my top line. Uh, I guess, Max, I'll throw it. Why don't you give me your top line that has you would construct it? 
Yeah, I don't quite know if uh, how I would do this. And I definitely want like a one-two punch mixed in, but my three biggest cap hit guys, I also took Ryan Johansson. And then I'm going with Vladimir Tarasenko and Evgeny Dadanov. So the Russian snipers winging either side of Johansson maybe add some offensive threat there to bring that up to first line level production. So I hovered over Tarasenko. The reason I didn't end up pulling the trigger on him was the the shoulder injury. Uh, and and you, it could obviously be a quiet scenario where he comes back, he's reinvigorated with another team and he just has a fantastic season. Very much a possibility. But with two shoulder surgeries potentially not going well, you worry about the rehab. I just, for a guy that gets paid to score goals and that requires a lot of shoulder, um, shoulder surgery is definitely set off the warning bells for me. So I felt more comfortable going with, with a, with a Voracek or a Bailey who I've seen more recently have production. Um, yeah. Talking earlier about guys rejuvenating, turning back the clock, uh, Tarasenko, the one I had in mind the most when I was saying that, and that would be the big gamble. Like this can be a franchise player for you, or at least a franchise forward with Carey Price maybe being the number one guy on the roster, but give you hopefully that production. And then you've got to hope for some diamonds in the rough on the cap space. You're saving, taking guys because you took a guy as expensive as Tarasenko. So for me, uh, there's no real like huge names after this. It definitely is a bit of a shoot for diamonds in the rough or maybe like third line scoring checking guys I like who I think have the potential to play more. Um, the, own, the maybe only like bonafides, I don't think he even played second line on Colorado. I took uh, Eunice Donskoy. Okay. Who I think would definitely reach my second line. And from there it's pure mix and match i'm not quite sure the notable names i have are i took alexander kerfoot off the leafs i loved how he played for us this season i took mason appleton off the jets obviously uh with the canadian division just had more opportunity to see those guys this past year and appleton was brilliant for the jets on that third line i i think a line looking of uh Appleton, Kerfoot, and Donskoy could do some real damage. And then the only other really notable pick for me is I took uh, Patrick Maroon off the Tampa Bay Lightning to bank on a four-year Stanley Cup streak and also not do the Bolts any favors on their cap space and take any of the guys hitting that uh, five, six million. Okay, that, that is an interesting strategy. Um, I went, well, one of those guys is available, right? You've got Gord, Palat, but I ended up going with Alex Kalorn, uh, which is a fantastic guy to throw on a second line. Um, I have him being centered by either Alexander Kerfoot or Chris Tierney from the Ottawa Senators, like both of them there in that spot, and then probably have JT Comfer from Colorado. Uh, filling out that second line. And then I love my my third line of, of Mason Appleton, Garnet Hathaway, and, and Nick Bukestad. I think it's just a lot of speed. And then Hathaway's got that, that grit, that size. Um, and then I also was able to sneak Barclay Goodrow in there as my version of the, uh, 
the three in a row cup winner now moved over to the Rangers in a trade this week uh, in a move by Tampa Bay, getting him out of there, but just throw him back on this team. See if he can bring some winning pedigree uh, adding to a, a, a deeper forward core, in my opinion. <laughs> and I've also got Richard Panic, Connor Sheary, Tyler Pitlick, Adam Godet, Curtis Lazar, uh, Brett Ritchie, uh, Jake Furtanen, all guys who have some NHL experience could fit somewhere in a bottom six. You would hope for some mix and matching and best case, maybe a William Carlson somewhere out of one yeah. of those. Yeah, for me, it would be uh, like a Tanner Kiro, Carl Grundstrom, uh, Lane Peterson, Tyler Benson, or, or Nick Merkley from the New Jersey Devils. Um, yeah, this is, this is a fun little exercise. Uh, I think I had not including, obviously I have a bunch of RFAs and, and two UFAs, but a uh, projected cap space of 18.6 million left for me <laughs> down at the bottom. But that is due to the, the UFAs. Um, if I think when it was coming in, when I was drafting them, see if I could go back here. Yeah. My max cap hit came out to around 75 out of the 81. So a lot tighter to the ceiling there, but still some wiggle room to work with. And that's going to be a huge asset for Seattle as they will be the conduit for many a trade. I imagine uh, coming up. Well, obviously not until the expansion draft, but uh, afterwards teams will be sending picks their way and, and pieces will be moving uh, as they hold a ton of leverage going into Wednesday. I don't know, Max, if you have any last thoughts about what we can expect coming up on Wednesday. Yeah, no, I can recap what I've said. The success of Vegas overshadowing this for me, uh, just the pressures on Seattle because a lot bigger names. I remember like James Neal and uh, Fleury were kind of the only two like big names in that expansion draft and look at the team they produced. So with that in recent memory and guys like Johansson, Tarasenko, Price, Dadanov, uh, Subban, like so many names, available on the market. I think the pressure is really on the Seattle team to go out and they don't have to wow us with the roster, what the names look like, but they do have to with their performance. This exercise really fun. Didn't really consider asset accumulation or free agency, which I think are going to be two huge parts. I have $2 million in cap space left on mine. And yeah, looking forward to the expansion af action after, of course, the NBA game six. Yes, we will be back on Thursday to wrap it up for you. Max will be buzzing that by that point, I can guarantee it. Um, and yeah, I hope everyone has a fantastic week. Uh, enjoy these summer days as, as the sports wind down to a degree. It, it gives you some opportunity to catch up on some hobbies, some personal stuff. Things are opening up, so make the most of it. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We appreciate it. Sorry for any and all flatness. Looking forward to getting back to bubbly, buzzing, Sports Next Door signing out.